Hey folks, John here from AS for Alcoholic. Today's conversation is a special one for me. It's with my little brother. Now, we don't talk directly about alcoholism. I mean, it comes up plenty, as it does often on this podcast. But what I really wanted to talk to him about was his experience growing up with our father. And I know that um, alcoholism is a complicated and multifaceted thing. I know that I believe it's an allergy for me, and it was exacerbated and brought on more by my environment, especially growing up with our dad. And I really believe that a lot of the childhood trauma that I endured brought on the alcoholism and and all of my addictive behavior in so many different ways. But what was interesting was talking to my brother and getting his whole different perspective. It's really easy to just assume that somebody has the same experience as you, especially a sibling. And for me to find out that he has just, he had so many other things, you know, going on in his own mind and, and he was able to find closure on certain things that I still struggle with. And so this conversation revolves mostly around our father the child abuse that we uh, endured and how we came to terms with it. And, you know, there's a lot of humor and a lot of love and some dark humor and some tough love, but it's always great to talk to my brother as adults and try and sort through and figure out just what the hell is going on with me and my alcoholism. And I hope that perhaps there's some value in it for you to do the same. So without further ado, here's a conversation with James Staley, my little brother. Like one of the things, and I I didn't, we just talked last night about a couple of things that I had no idea about, but I've, as I have been trying to figure out where my alcoholism comes from and where my, my. Are we recording this now? Are we going to start? Yeah, we're recording. All right. Well, okay. Just, we just went right into it. We'll just go right into it. Well, um, that's great. Is anybody else on this? Is it just you and me? It's just you and me. All right, right on. Um, just checking. I wasn't sure if there was a. No, it's not a live involved. feed. No, there's nobody. There's no. No. Um, but is this on? <laughs> it's on. It's on. But I mean, how, just, how many? How many? How many people are watching this? Well, if, I don't there's know. Squirrels, maybe. No, I mean, there's there's probably dozens and dozens of people, James. I have no idea. Dozens um, upon dozens. I don't know. I think we get a couple of hundred um, listeners for every new podcast every week. A couple hundred new listeners? Maybe not new, but we I get a couple of hundred hits. Download. I don't know. I have. I really. I have a very difficult time trying to understand it. So I oh, mean, metrics on it. All right. Yeah, I'm not. That's not my my forte. I do my best, but that, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to go off into some other topic we were talking about where you're that's okay that's okay so uh, those we try to stay on task those of you listening will find out very easily that james likes to uh go off topic i like to find a tangent likes to venture well just that i really feel like my alcoholism but all i believe that it was something that was inside of me like a brain chemistry thing like it's inevitable right but i also believe that you know you and i growing up with dad and the family life that we had, or the lack thereof, played a huge role in me wanting to um, 
looking for some sort of escape release valve, whether, you know, imbibe something, whether it be whippets <laughs> or I don't know what it is, anything to take yeah. just to crank the crank it down a half notch, the vice clamps, just get them down just one half notch yeah. so I can tolerate my existence. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, dad was, yeah. And so I guess too, one of the things, you know, and whatever you're comfortable talking about and whatever you're not, but one of the things is that there's a, a whole lot of blank spots in my, in my memory growing up. Like I like, I feel like there's multiple the years, there are years where I don't, I don't have a whole lot of memories. I mean, a lot of people talk about childhood memories and I don't, they're not Growing there. Up, you, you mean childhood memories, you mean between 10 and 15 or eight yeah, and five and, and you know, maybe, yeah, okay. maybe not that young, well, but I mean, but yeah, I 10 have, and 15, 10 and 17. I have a large repository of all that stuff. So if you ever want to know anything. Well, I mean, I just remember from a very young age, like living in that, we lived in an apartment in, in Santa Paula and you know i remember like one time mom telling me that dad wasn't coming home for the weekend and i said why and i i don't remember how exactly she explained it but it was basically he had gotten a dui and he was in jail for the weekend <laughs> and i was like oh okay he'll be back on monday or whatever i don't know how the fucking laws worked back then that was you know 1982 or something. i don't know he just left his car in las vegas when it died on the side of the road there's never any ticket from that i don't remember car, that was no it? well, it's before we were born oh okay mom's yeah. story said that you know he just one time just left his car on the side of the road yeah. and just dump it in the desert in vegas and nobody just like bodies nobody cares and i really feel like that was a theme in his life and how he treated everything like well just leave it alone just walk away from it it'll fix itself you know and so i mean just things like i don't remember like i remember that that santa paula i i have a vague memory of like you and i being told that they were getting divorced the first time do you remember this like i the, was too young for that because i yeah, was i was in like santa three. paula <laughs> yeah i was in santa paula i i have distinct memories of santa paula uh, that's like my thing my one of my first memories that i can go far back enough is remembering being told that my parents are divorcing and that's five you know there should be more memories i th I feel like and i don't have them but even growing up like we left you know i don't we left and we were i then i kind of remember living with dad in that house and him always always drinking you know always and and always being unpredictable and that beautiful. and that's the the well, not the but one of the biggest issues with drinking is because it's you don't know what the person's going to do there's no reliability yeah. with that yeah and it, it just uh, always feeling on edge and in contention with him you know and one of the things it's funny because when i hurt my ankle I hurt my foot really bad and I was out of work for like two or three weeks and it really stressed me out. And, but I bought a PlayStation four <clears throat> because I needed, I wanted something to do. I was just stuck in bed. Right. And I'd always had an aversion toward video games. And I think, you know why, <laughs> like I fucking hated them. And so like, you know, and we Ghost talk and about goblins till midnight. <laughs> <clears throat> so, and so <laughs> explain to the listeners 
And this is really bizarre. And I don't know if anybody else ha ever had this experience, but like- Nobody uh, else ever has that experience, John. Just Our father, who was sick for most of his, uh, his entire life, he was ill. Mentally he, and physically. Mentally and physically. I mean, he dealt with asthma and then the drugs that he took for asthma in the 60s and 70s basically ate away at his brain and his joints in that ability to help him breathe. But he got hooked on Nintendo. We got an, I remember we went to New Jersey for I, Christmas. I remember that distinctly. I remember So that was that like 86. And we got that. And so it was almost as if our father, dad, was the one who got hooked on video games and he loved it, I guess, because, you know, maybe it distracted him and it Escapism. kept him away from the pain. Escapism. So, um, and I don't think he was drinking during, while he was playing video games. I feel like his, his drinking and his alcoholism was like sporadic. Like it would stop for a while and then it would go like super hard. And then it would stop for a while, but he would make us stay up late and watch him play video games. And he would well, make I, us- I remember be, being, forced to finish levels because he didn't have the dexterity or the skill to do it mm -hmm. that's was my remember like you have to go and make this jump i can't make this jump and i can't beat this character and i can't solve i can solve the puzzle but i can't have my fingers do it and mm -hmm. then you know being a six or seven or eight year old if you play video games at that age you get good at real quick mm -hmm. so like I have memories of of knowing that we were going to be forced to stay up and play these video games. And so after dinner, I would like start to make excuses. Like I don't, my stomach hurts and I need to go to bed. And I was so like a very early age, I was lying so that I could get out of whatever this punishment was yeah. or having to fucking draw, you know, huge size maps for Legend of Zelda, you know, like it, it was awful. Like I wanted to go to bed. And I wonder and why there, I and have And the thing is, there problems. weren't magazines then. You can't just go to the I store know. and buy a magazine in 1989 for Legend of Zelda 2. <laughs> no. It didn't exist. It didn't exist. And so, like, like I, and I wonder why I have sleep problems. But so you, do you remember all of that, you, right? I mean, that was awful. Literally. I, in fact, I told my coworker about that last week. And he said, what? You mean your dad made you play video games? Usually they don't let you. I said, oh, he made us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like but, those fucked up, weird, you know, levels of abuse, like psychological abuse. But it's crazy psychological abuse. It's not just, you know, I'm going to gaslight you or I'm going to, you know, manipulate you. It's creative. It's and it's and and the thing is, he, I don't think he had any perspective no. to know that was abusive. Like no. I don't think in his head he thought I was being bad. He just thought I have my children need to do this. It was very authoritarianism. Yeah, I mean, and I imagine that's that's how he was raised. And I I never got to talk to. I mean, I don't know that grandma would ever have talked to me about any of this stuff. Um, you know, I could talk to cousin Danny, and he was very much that she was in pretty severe denial about and she was also enabling his you know his father our uncle and you know i think about maybe calling aunt jacqueline before she passes and saying hey and i'm i don't know how old she she's in her 80s right but just actually kinda... i need to send her i got a birthday it's been a month that i didn't i, I need to send her a thank you card and such a yeah. one with those things so um you know like 
this starts on very, very early. And like, I don't, I don't know how, I still don't know how to process that stuff. Like that kind of, that level of, that level of, yeah, authoritarian. He didn't think it, he didn't think it was abuse because that's probably how he was raised. You do what your children do what you say. Yeah. I'm the parent, right? <clears throat> and, you know, after he and mom split up, like there was no one else to, there was, there was nobody else. It was just you and me and him. And, well, and, and because he was on disability, and though he had a few jobs, he was doing some volunteer, volunteering and things like that. Mm -hmm. He was there all the time. Yeah. There was not like a way to get away. There wasn't a, there was a few babysitters here and there, but there was not, it was just, anytime you're home, it's him. There's not even a difference of, it's you go to school, which is off on itself, at least my experience, and you come home, yeah. and it wasn't exactly, you know, you just look forward to maybe getting three Oreo cookies. <laughs> like, that was the whole thing, and specifically three, that's it. Yeah, is that, was that the thing? I remember, like, there was, like, a <clears throat> count, three or four cookies, and that's all you get to have, so. Yeah. So, so it was just this perpetual, or, you know, the, another thing that I think about, I have an aversion toward, you know, I did for a long time exercise. And I remember him, one of the big punishments was do push-ups, do jumping jacks, do sit-ups. Oh, I remember a thousand squats. Jesus, I don't remember that. I remember a thousand squats. That was the full punishment. Like in some sort of military school. Yeah. So, you know, that was... Yeah, so the psychological, the punishments, the um, ways of interacting was just very odd. I mean, just, it's almost as if he didn't have any perspective and he's in a bubble, mm -hmm. raising a child with not so much as one book to look at and just fly by the seat of his pants. Which, you know, I understand, uh, you know, I have, I have children, so I understand mm -hmm. uh, kind of what he's going through. But, you know, I had to have the conversation when I was, I was probably 30. I think I had three kids at the time. I'm trying to remember when I had the conversation before he died. And I said, Dad, I would, I would never, ever do that to my kids. What in the actual F were you doing? And what like, did he say? Um, not he much. Showed, yeah. He showed remorse. Like he showed, he was just like, you could tell he was bummed about it. But I think by the time he was 61, 62, when I actually talked to him about it, his brain was, uh, as Elijah says, riddled with dementia. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean he was, Swiss by the cheese. time he was 60, he was gone. Yeah. And that's not gone. his brain didn't work. He was, he, I went to the, the hospice place and mm -hmm. he tried to hit me multiple times and he was violent to the people at hospice at the uh, Kai Tai Lagoon. I remember. I was there just, briefly. Yeah, just... I would just come up on the weekends. Yeah. Completely. Or, and then, so... But, yeah. um... I guess what... To some... We can go deeper into it, but to kind of bring it back to the summary mm -hmm. of what you started with was that why are people using intoxicants? Why are people stuck on Facebook. Why are they, why is there such escapism going on? And specifically with chemical addictions, but a good vast majority of it is environment. 
and I, I maybe mm -hmm. you know the study or don't know the study, and I think I've discussed this with you. So you have <clears throat> a mouse, a lab, a lab rat in a mm -hmm. cage, and he has little pellets, and he eats them. And if you give him cocaine, he will just go and keep getting the cocaine until he ODs or whatever else or passes out. And he'll keep doing that because you just give him his pellets and a cage and he's bored. Mm -hmm. If you give him a giant, huge cage with all sorts of fun, exciting things and rat buddies, he does not go for the, the water with the cocaine. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of environmental, and that could be for you or for me or for anybody. If you're in a great environment, you wake up and you have people that love you and you have good food and you're able to go out and get some fresh air. Or maybe you do a mountain bike or maybe you go surfing or maybe you go and find a, a great movie or a book that you can immerse yourself in and you have support and you're eating well, then your mental status is so much better that you go, I don't really feel like drinking. I don't even feel like it because, and for me, I know when my life is doing really well, I don't really feel like it because I know the next day, whether I'm happy or not, there's depression that sets in mm -hmm. the next day. Always. There's dehydration. Mm -hmm. There's so many negative aspects that just outweigh any positive, oh, good, I've got a buzz. Yeah. I do think, I do think that it's, there's a lot to say about environment. I will, um, for me personally, I think it was intrinsic in my, in my makeup. I so think that, um, like epigenetics type deal where it's I don't, I don't know what epigenetics are, but oh, where it's passed down through your DNA. Yeah. Um, okay. I believe that I believe that there, and what I've come to understand about myself is that there's an allergic reaction that, that happens. Now, it's not just like, oh, I get hives. Although I used to literally get, I get red flushed all over my chest and I, from drinking too much. And this oh, really? whole thing, and my face would get- Hard booze? Yeah, or sometimes okay. beer. Sometimes it would just be beer, but it wouldn't happen it's all the time. Allergic reaction from like 10 beers? From two, I've gotten it. And I would still drink, and I would drink, I would try to drink to like, I would drink more thinking that that would make me not feel it but I'd be super hot and flushed. So a literal allergic reaction, but it's that allergic reaction to alcohol that then turns on the fucking fire in my brain and is like, let's go. Let's drink as much as we can, not let's have a couple and oh, I don't feel like, I don't want to be hung over tomorrow. And that's what I, you know, that's how I would drink. Um, so I do believe that environment plays a huge role in it. And I, and that child, the childhood trauma of growing up with dad exacerbated it entirely so i think that in addition to my own you know my belief that there was something inside of me well already. and maybe that's your norwegian and there's vikings what about the scots or the irish people that are just a thousand years of drinking yeah i mean so it's, maybe it, that it becomes ingrained because it's cultural and the environment on top of it if you're mm -hmm. dealing with tough things and then it's just that's what you've been doing for a thousand years, which is why maybe the, you know, the Inuits or Asian people or native people have, don't do well with alcohol because they haven't had that in their blood or milk for that reason. Certain people don't because it's just not, you don't eat it or uh, gluten. 
yeah which isn't your, which isn't your problem but <laughs> no but i i think i get i get your point i just don't know like when you say they haven't done well with alcohol i don't think people like the the norwegians or scots or irish do well with alcohol they the, i don't really buy into the notion of like holding your liquor or being able to drink a lot as something that is I guess I meant allergic reactions to it, where they can tolerate milk or wheat or beer because they've been doing it for... They have a higher tolerance. Yeah, Yeah. so your genetics, so that your body over generations, and you keep having people with this tolerance of dealing with a poison in your body, Mm -hmm. to where now, if you do introduce that poison, you're not as, you don't quite have maybe a propensity for over drinking or maybe a propensity for mm-hmm. illness associated with it like hives um but aren't aren't uh, like japanese there's the japanese there's certain groups of people throughout the world that just have a hard time not holding their liquor but don't even do well with it. their bodies don't react well or when they do start to use it there's the addiction rate is that much higher because they're generational genetics because of genetics yeah now i think too another thing that happens is this that's not really genetics but like the generational trauma and being being hit by my father because he was hit by his father probably because he was hit by his father and so on and so forth so this shit has been going on for look up epigenetics it's meaning it just you can actually pass down things through your genes and in your life, your genes will get changed so that I may pass down something to Leaf, my youngest child, that I did not pass down to Caleb, my oldest, because mm-hmm. there's a nine-year difference. Right. And I did something that edited my genes in just some way. But yeah, so I think absolutely yeah. it's that kind of stuff is passed down. And that could be abuse. That could be violence. But we're talking about chemical dependency. Yes. <laughs> dependency. Right. Well, I, I just, for me, it's, I think it's all interconnected and I definitely like definitely the, 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 the abuse at the hand of our father played a huge role in how I saw the world. I mean, he was never, I don't remember ever feeling like there was a positive role model. When I look back at things like how he dealt with money, you know, Money was always something to be hoarded and stashed and tucked away. And I can't trust a a bank and a checkbook. So I'm going to pay for, like, I remember going to the bank and he'd have wads of cash and like getting money orders to fucking pay bills. And like, but like, because just have the money in the bank and write the check. But he was not adept enough to keep enough money in the bank, organize a checkbook and have it there. And so like, or maybe was it, was it that he couldn't get a check checking account? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I but, think my thing is I, just to, to elaborate on that. I think the fact that he grew up in the sixties, well, whenever he did sixties, seventies, mm-hmm. and he had $300 a night in 1970. And so he just had wads of cash and that's just what he did everything with. Sure. I okay. Don't, I don't remember what 1970 was like because I was <laughs> you not there. alive, but I imagine cash was king. If I walked into a place with $10,000, I yes. can sign, sign one signature and get a car and walk out of there. And there's not any questions. Go to a car dealership right now and try to buy a brand new truck with $40,000 cash and see what they look like with you. 
They're not interested. Like, uh, uh, okay, but you're going to sign all these paperwork, so we got to go send this to the IRS. And it, right. He, so I think that was his money. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. But I, it, okay, and I was a bartender for many, many years, and I wait tables right now, and I get paid in cash every single night. And, um, like, it took me a long time to unlearn that because it's not a good behavior with money, um, at least not for me. You know, so now it's like the money needs to go in the bank and I do almost everything online. I know this is, this, this is like, I don't think it's getting off topic because I think it's important. And these are things that I learned from him and having wads of cash, although it seems cool. And maybe it is when you're going to the bar and you're throwing twenties and hundreds on the bar top, but like, it's not been helpful to me. You know, like I never got any like education from him except for what not to do and how to lie and how to cheat and how to steal. And it always felt like those were, it always felt like anti-lessons with him, you know? Well, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, I tell when I have conversations with my grown son, I can, I can make recommendations, but one of the lines I use is that I can't really tell you what to do, but I can tell you exactly what not to do. <laughs> I highly recommend you don't do this, 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 mm -hmm. because, you know, you do X and Y is going to happen. And, you know, I can make suggestions, but when a child's 19 years old, they go, yeah, you're old and dumb. They're not going to. Sure. I don't felt like I ever got that from dad. Not oh, even, well, a, not even like a direct conversation. And, and so. You got um, the heck out of there as soon as you possibly could, as soon as he let you, as soon as did you, yeah. Yeah. Did you see, you watched that video of us at the, the apartment and that was right. I'm pretty sure that was 95 right before you I left. You were leaving to go live with mom. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Right, um, I remember. And then, and then shortly thereafter, I think within two years, I said, F you as well. Yeah. I'm leaving to go. Like, I'm not hanging out here by myself for another summer. Forget did, that. <laughs> And Besides the I, fact that Las Vegas is not good. No. <laughs> no offense to anybody listening in Vegas. It was yeah, not good I mean, then and it was not if good If you have the choice between Ventura, which is right. a little downtrodden these days as well, versus Las Vegas. Uh, so I want to, I wanna, there's, one, there's one time, I want to go back in the past a little bit before we get to 95. Um, 93 till infinity. <laughs> 93 till infinity. I have this memory and it's like the first time I remember in taking in alcohol and it wasn't a fun experience and you were there and I don't recall like all of this. And so this is kind of a park. No, I don't remember the park, but oh, see, the park there was, I think party was there. I think, uh, no, Danny this, was there. no, I was 14. Was, anyway, no, continue. this was not that this was something. Oh, okay. This was pretty awful. Um, but, I remember spilling like white wine in the fridge and it's spilling all over like some bean sprouts or something. I remember oh, very vague, I, but okay. I, that I remember very specific. Well, I'm, that's what I remember. Okay. So we'll just say, we'll say that's what that is. But I remember him getting angry that I spilt the wine. And so instead of like hitting me or something, he made me eat it over the sink. And I remember I would eat some and then I would stuff some down the sink. And I had this memory of you, of him making you eat sit. The beans? Yeah, I had to eat the the bean sprouts that were soaked in white wine. 
when I was probably like 15 and you were 13, we were living on Lamb Street, North Lamb Boulevard, whatever. Uh, yeah, because we moved, we moved out when I was 14, correct. Yeah, and I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, him making you like sit naked on an ice cube on one of those bar stools. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to. Uh, I... It sounds familiar, but maybe that's one of the things I freaking blocked out. But I mean, he was just, he was such an imp in the way where I'd be, I was a picture in my head where he took a Polaroid of me on the toilet taking a poop. Like, who does that to their 10-year-old for fun? Let alone who makes you eat wine-soaked beans over the sink and sit on ice cubes. I don't know why I said it. I think maybe I said an ice cube because he whipped me or something. Why was he sitting in ice cubes? No, like that was the punishment. For what? I don't fucking know. That's my, <laughs> but that's my point Sounds is that I don't fucking strange. know, right? So like, I'm because I was trying to trace back, like when was my first drink? And that wasn't like my first drunk, like getting drunk that I can remember. But like, that was my first drink, like drinking alcohol or taking it out. I don't remember getting drunk. Really? Yeah, 15. Interesting. Um, I might've been 14, whatever. It was some, I don't know when it was in there, 14. Okay. It might have been 13 because, like, that was sixth grade, too. So it might have been 12. I mean, it could have, you, we could have been 10 and 12. We could have been 13. So or did you intentionally go to drink the wine and then no, spill tobacco? I don't think so. No. But I don't remember. Right, but, so so you, you spilled the wine in the fridge. Why was the wine open? I don't know. Probably because you fucking put it in there like that. Okay. So <laughs> are, you, first... are you trying to, like, no, I'm, try, I'm trying to suss out when you drink. What did you drink and when did you drink? No, your first just when I was of, eating, when I, when I was eating the wine-soaked beans. Your first beans drink was wine-soaked beans? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's called edamame, up. John. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and we laugh about it now, but like, that shit was like awful. I remember it. And, um, but I mean, there was just this whole series of things. I remember sitting in a, like a Burger King. And we had been like driving around in that fucking van running errands. We were always fucking running errands. Like it was like this nonstop, <laughs> right? Wasn't it? There always? was a lot of errands. It seemed like there's too many, too many errands for one person. Like a one person, like there, why were there so many errands all the time? Like, that's why you get a checkbook and you just mail out the fucking check. So we don't have to go paying the electric bill at the electric company. It was always shit like that. That like all these extra steps to like avoid real responsibility that's how i see it now you know like organize it all and then instead of like i'm gonna go to the water company to pay my bill in cash like um what the fuck dude hold on oh, you so you judgy. Gotta... i i i paid my internet bill last last month at okay, the internet it's... place which is admittedly about a quarter mile away fine okay maybe i am being but a yes. little judgy but just in my <laughs> mind as a child that it was like constantly all these weird little things that today I just go beep, beep, beep. It's on my phone. It takes me two seconds. I fucking forget about it. And that's fine. You know, people can, you can manage your money however you want. It just, when I look back, I never got any help. And I had to learn all these things on my own about how to make it easy and simple and pay all my bills on time. You know, I had tons and tons of, I, I just recently got through paying the Oregon Department of Revenue like $300 from 2002. That's how long ago I lived there. But I remember driving around one of these days and I remember the three of us sitting in like a Burger King or some shit 
sitting in one of those like crappy plastic, you know, booths and we're eating and he's just, and I, I have a lot of memories of dad, like eating bad food and being angry. Right. So, I mean, you can make that correlation. So like maybe it had a lot to do with, you know, maybe you shouldn't have been eating. Fucking but there was 29 cent tacos at Taco Bell. We have to get 15 of them. I know. Yeah, well, this is, this is also where I think that I learned my, a lot of my issues with food was from him. But I mean, obviously, because I didn't grow up with anybody else. Uh, there was no other adult in the world for us. Right. Yeah. Well, he, and, and, you know, our, our mother didn't have any eating um, knowledge to impart. And he used it as a reward. He used it as a punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember being really hungry sometimes, like extra super hungry because there was only, you only get so much food. There was like food restrictions. I remember. Uh, I don't know. What Maybe not that? necessarily a dinner, but during the day I couldn't have snacks. I couldn't continue to eat. Um, so, really? but anyway, so <laughs> I'm sorry to, to just eating bad food and being angry. <laughs> so, so yeah. So in this, in this particular moment, I just remember, I remember being like, I just want to get the fuck away from him. And like, I could, I don't even remember what the problem was, but he was so mad and he was like the steaming, angry, like silent, and then yelling at us and then not saying anything. And I remember this old woman at like, he had gotten up to go to the car and I was there and maybe you were, I don't know. And this old woman to the booth next to us said, you know, something to the effect of like, it'll be okay. It's going to be all right. Oh. And, and part of me was like angry and, and like, fuck you. You don't know anything about my life. And now I see like she was just trying to be kind in a moment of like real pain for a little kid, you know? And so. You know, it's interesting how you have emotions about a lot of this stuff. I mm -hmm. think because of whatever my my mental um, functions or malfunctions that I have, mm -hmm. I don't share as much. I have sympathy, but it's hard for me to be empathetic. So I don't have a lot of those. I think there's a lot more robotic, just, you know, I have the emotional range of a teaspoon type deal to where I think a lot of that was just, this is what's happening and maybe I've internalized and I've gone to counseling and I've talked with him and expressed things, but I don't think it affected me at a, such a deep emotional level. I think it's probably psychological in the back of my head that has formulated me, but I think you got, not only were you older, you got the brunt of the abuse for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you, and you're more, just, you're just more of a sensitive person than I am. I'm, a, a, I'm I lacked tact. And I kind of just, you know, fly off the seat of my pants where I think that kind of abuse would affect you even more, a normal person a lot, but it would affect you more than it did me. Maybe it's because I was younger, I didn't know, but I think I have a little bit of different experiences where I didn't quite have the anger and frustration that you did. It was more just let me get away. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I so I hear that. I'm just saying it's interesting to hear your perspective because my I don't have the emotional what's the word vitriol that you that you might have for him. I'm still working on it, man. I have I have written multiple letters and numerous pages about him and to him and you know, um trying to 
trying to make sense and trying, trying to forgive him because I don't want to be angry anymore. And this stuff comes up and I'm just like, and I don't feel that way anymore. But at the time, I just remember being very resentful toward that woman. But, you know, she was just trying to help. And so, but you were talking about food restrictions, like, because I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. No, I remember, you know, after you have dinner, there's no other snacks after that. Mm -hmm. And if you want some food, no, you can't have that. You can't go make that. Just grab an apple. That's all you have. Or I'm hungry. For some reason, there was, I remember, I just was dying to have a box of crackers. And he was, no, you can't have those. And so I think it was just one of his ways, whether he was trying to do it out of good or bad, he was doing it just as a way to control, to say, you can't, you know, eat that much. And because mm -hmm. I have big time body dysmorphia. And I, it's direct, directly related to him because yeah. I remember when I'm in the best shape of my life and I'm squatting 400 pounds, I still feel fat yeah. and I feel weak and I feel, and people will look around, <laughs> what's wrong with you, James? I'm like, I only work out when I'm sad, <laughs> so, which is every day. And yeah. so I'm doing that and I still feel, I feel really not, uh, I don't have a good body image at all. And I think it stems from him a lot. You have always been taller and thinner and more ripped than I ever. And, and better looking. And better looking. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. But it's true. And it's so true that we walk around thinking these things, you know, and I'm in the best shape that I've ever been in my life at 43. And it's like still, and I, I'm, you know, I got a few extra pounds and I didn't really get to, I didn't achieve my goals this year because of all the shit that happened, not to mention starting the year with an injury in the back of my leg that I couldn't, like, that took just months to recover. But, like, and just trying to understand where those things come from and, and having, growing up with a father who was over-controlling with food, like, it makes sense. And, and exercise. Do a, 100 jumping jacks mm -hmm. is your punishment. The so, fuck is that? It's, I remember, it's, it's yeah. Seems insane in my head as a parent. Right. I mean, you, yeah, it's, it does. It absolutely does. Like I remember junior high school um, and I was, I'm 14 or 15, right? I was never. Yeah, no, yeah you were like 13 or 14, but yeah. 13 or 14. Okay. And um, I never felt like I was, I, and I always felt overweight, but when I look back and I see pictures, I'm like, I was so skinny. And I remember dad saying like, you need to, you need to, you need to lose some weight and like making me go talk to my like PE coach about getting in weight and like all this stuff. And it was really awful because he never wanted, dad never wanted to help. It just seemed like he wanted to tell me what was wrong and tell me to fix it. And I never felt any guidance or like mentorship in that way. Like just go ask your coach and fucking figure it out because you're fat and you're 14. And I'm like, well, I guess that's what I am. I guess I'm fat. And, you know, like, so. So, but you know what? That leads me to another topic without going mm -hmm. too far off. I don't think, here's my problem with dad. <laughs> he, never, mm -hmm. he never took any accountability. He never took any responsibility for it. And even in his old last dying days, as I sat down with him going, what in the hell did you do? What were you thinking? Why would you have treat your children this way? He barely acknowledged. He barely, even the, you know, he was 61 or whatever he was, 
He barely did. So he just, nothing was ever his fault. Yeah. So I think that's, he just didn't take any accountability. If you have a 14 year old that's overweight, which you, maybe you were a little chubby, but you weren't really overweight. You weren't, you know, thin or anything, but whose fault is it? Who's feeding the 14 year old? You adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, well, yeah, I was, I also learned very early on that I really love candy. So I would always try to like sneak away and go to Seven Eleven and get candy. And I I never I don't have a sweet tooth still, but I do mm-hmm. remember sneaking money, saving my money in fifth grade for two fifty. And I remember buying the three foot red vines. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember the packages, mm-hmm. and they'd have because they'd have candy at school. You could buy it even at the, at the whatever the store was. Yeah, and I remember buying like three or four of them and eating them all at once and then throwing them up in school. <laughs> but I think it is because the treats, whatever the treats were, were so restricted. Like I said, three or four cookies mm-hmm. that when I got, when I had some autonomy with my ah. money and my time, just, <laughs> and, and I have, I ate two sandwiches for lunch today. Who I the hell it. needs two sandwiches? I still struggle with, with just, What's not bulk eating? Um, Portions? Binging. Central? No, binging. Oh, okay. On anything. I still struggle with that. Yeah. I will have two sandwiches, two fries, and I mean, I'm not, again, not really into dessert, and then maybe a, a salad too on top of it. And who the hell needs 1,500 to 2,000 calories in a sitting? Nobody. I mean, well, maybe, I maybe guess Michael if you're, Phelps. If, yeah, exactly. The same if you're Michael Phelps, but I'm not swimming a thousand miles a day. Right. Um, so, so, but I think it's still the restrictiveness creates the binging, and so I think I have I have that issue as well. Yeah, I I, I do. I, I've seen you put it away and like have us. We'll all finish a dinner, and you'll get a sandwich on top of it after everyone's <laughs> done. Everyone's having their little ice cream, and you're like, "Yeah, can I get that pastrami on rye?" I've seen it, dude. I mean, I get it. It's I, not. Don't tell anybody I had a pastrami today. It was awful. The Ruben. I, I, I still have a thing for Rubens. I just, I. And I mean, I know that we joke a lot. Like we laugh about it because, you know, it's tough. But like, I guess, you know, part of what I wanted to talk, why I wanted to talk to you was to try to like understand these things a little bit more about myself and about you. And, you know, I'm growing up and when I left to go, I graduated high school and left to go live with mom. Like, I don't even know. I mean, I didn't know your experience growing up. And like, you talked about like getting whipped with a vacuum cord. Yeah. I just didn't remember that one. I remember um, being hit in the face in a parking lot with bloody nose. I remember lots of yucky. I remember he took me, I don't know what I said. I think I, I think I talked back to him directly and I maybe was like 10 or 11 years old. So I was starting to get a little, uh, testicular fortitude mm-hmm. <laughs> as my balls started to drop mm-hmm. and he took me by my neck and lifted me up and shoved me against the wall and just was like you're not going to do that and i haven't been challenged like that with my children but there's been times that have definitely tested my patience to not you know i i in fact, I, I'm going off topic. In fact, I apologize to Elijah, just my middle child, for people that don't know, um, just last week. And we were talking about just growing up and stuff. And 
the one time I've hit my kid, he was 13 years old, mm-hmm. and I gave him a little sunning, if you will, the back of the head pop. Mm-hmm. And he's 13 because he was being a really awful, horrible human. And, it, and he was doing that to his little brother, and it was so offensive to me. It's like, how dare you want him to be in pain? You want him, you, wait, it's not your way. You just want him to not get his way. So you're fine. You have everything you want. You just want him not to hit him to get his way. And he was just like, yes. And I just, in the back of the head. But again, he's 13. And it's a little different. And I've never spanked him. And I never really used that as any sort of... Tool of manipulation? Or well, tool control. of discipline. discipline. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't think you should spank your kids, but I can see how in some instances with some people that might be effective, albeit not constructive. Sure. But you said you, you, you talked to him recently and you apologized for that. Yeah. And he's like, and he even said this is, so this is three years ago. He's 16 now. And you know, he's like, oh, yeah, dad, it was fine. I was being awful. And I'm like, no, it's not fine to me. Yeah. I think about it all the time. I don't like to do that yeah. because I'm so much bigger than you at 13. And that was another thing yeah. with dad. He was yeah. just a giant human when I was growing up. And then finally, when I hit a growth spurt and I could almost look him in the eye, I was like, I'm not taking this anymore. You're old and frail. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so you were, we got off topic. You're talking about. Well, I mean, so there was this, and we don't have, I'm not asking to go through every single uh, instance of abuse and trauma. Like, I don't think that's helpful or we constructive. Have, we, but, there's plenty, we can just have to do a podcast every day for that one. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm most curious about is, is your experience that because I I didn't have it, you know, when I was dealing with all my own shit, like in high school and I fought with him all the time in high school. And like, I was in that, I just remember things like being in that play and him not coming and we we weren't speaking at that time. And so there was long periods where he and I just didn't talk at all. And so like your experience growing up with him, um, what do you, like, what do you recall? What were, were there, were there positive moments? Were there, um, yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there was plenty of positive moments where I know that he, in his moments of clarity, if there ever was one or two, um, you know, going to wet and wild, um, the water park. Yeah. Yeah. The water park, um, going to the mall where he would go and then drink at Der Baron's 101 beers. So, he so- his, and oh, let me finish and, and saying here, get a, get a hot dog and some chips and then here's 20 bucks. You have to spend it here because I'm going to get hammered before we go home in the Volare that I mm-hmm. have to spray carburetor fluid in to get to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would get drunk at the mall bar and give us money to go play in the arcade. You know, I remember the Wet and Wild. And it wasn't all happy because I remember him making me go down that long, that really that tall water Stuka. Side. Yeah, so that was like he would force me to do it because of some bullshit about like getting over my fear of heights, which are still there, by the way. Oh, like even worse. Um, but yeah, so that year I remember that too. And I just feel like then the car, and I remember that Volare, that green Volare had a big, big monster, yellow, man. 
a yellow streak across one side because when we finally got home after he was drunk, he like drove it and scraped against one of those uh, concrete yellow posts that you're not, that's, they're there so that you don't go in there. And like, so it's just like all these, even the potentially good memories are peppered in with like some level of shit. <laughs> and, you better be thankful them, Valaria. You'd be taking groceries home from Albert's into the bike. <laughs> I remember, Jesus, I hadn't thought about that in a long time either. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, that's not, that's, that's, you know, shit's hard and people are broke and people don't have, you know, I mean, I get it, but I, like, but I don't, I mean, I know he was sick and he was ill. Yeah. And he was on disability. Yeah. But when I look back, he absolutely used that as a crutch to not have to work. And I don't know his level of sickness or how bad he felt, mm -hmm. but, and I've even had this when I am, I'm in my worst times. Like, what if I just say I'm, I'm disabled because my brain doesn't work and I can't function in a normal job because I cannot be civil. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if a lot of it was I'm disabled even though I'm 45 years old and I can still do stuff to where he's just happy to live off a of disability, live in, um, you know, near, El near Nellis Air Force Base until there's helicopters coming down into our yard because we live in the freaking projects and that's okay with you. And I don't know why that's okay at least get out and move somewhere. And you think he finally did because it was getting so bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I don't know. I don't know what his level of, I mean, I, I understand more now and I've talked to people who's, who've had family members that were on the same medication as them. And it really was, it was only a couple of years ago that I had this epiphany and talked with somebody about how severe, you know, because we, you and I what, both. What, prednisone? Yeah, how severe it was on the on the on his brain. The yeah. antidepressants. I didn't know. I the mean, diuretics. I, yeah. The pharmacy that was in the medicine cabinet at all times. Huge, huge. Huge. At least huge. thirty bottles of pills, if not more. Um, well, and t and and the doc doctor feel good. Ten different prescriptions and Valium, mm -hmm. and and Cars Pro Propodol, Soma. Mm-hmm. Which, all yeah, those things. I used to steal the Soma all the time. I, oh, I, I was the, the best. It was great. <laughs> I know, right? How else are you going to get through the day without right? some Soma? But I mean, we were little kids. Is... We were like 16 and 14 and we're like fucking eating muscle relaxers just to not deal with our father. You know, like but what a fucking... Where would... I'm glad he had those because I would have been way more stressed. I would take those things at school. Me too. Yeah. I would go to school and just give me a few of those and what Spanish class? <laughs> right. But I mean, it's just really like, even that, you know, again, I know that we joke a lot, but like that level of taking pain medications at that age, like it didn't really do, it was, it alleviated the pain in the moment, but it always came back. It was always there. I always came out of it. I always came out of that haze an hour later and had to go home to see him again. And, um, you know, there was just this, but, but the, the, the epiphany was like, Oh, he was so sick in the head. Like, like literally the, all, everything that he did was probably the best that he could do. Like he didn't have any other tools. He didn't have any tools. 
his brain was twisted in some pharmacopoeia going on. Yeah. And then adding alcohol to that mix Constantly. on top of your other depressants. I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised I'm alive and I didn't get run off a cliff. Yeah. You know, like a lot of those things. So part of what I had conversation with when he was, when he was older mm-hmm. was I kind of gave him the bed because it's all he could do with what he had. However, at some point I can't make excuses for that. No. You I can't I'm not gonna you you can make good decisions and you can have some accountability and some at least and if nothing else, hey, I get that you're a single parent and that you have health issues which really are and they I don't know what his mental health issues were before the pills. Let's say he doesn't have any pills. But he just he has mental health issues from his parents, which right. were passed on. But he has his physical health. He can't breathe. And I remember him going to the hospital multiple times from that. But you can't make, you can't, you have to at least take accountability and say, yeah, I was a crappy parent. I didn't do as good as I could have been. Yeah. As I could have done. So yeah. that's my biggest problem with him was his lack of accountability. And, um, so my experience is there was some, it was positive sprinkled into a sea of misery is what that was. And maybe misery is a strong word, but Mm. it was miserable at least. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a Um, lot of stress and anxiety and fucking fear, straight up fear. So how I think I dealt with it as a child, not knowing I was dealing with it this way. And we're not, we can talk about whatever sort of uh, mm-hmm. addictions and things like that. Well, I didn't have, I didn't have my first drink. Maybe I had whatever the hot toddy gave me. I didn't have my first drink until I was 14. I didn't smoke weed until I was 16. I didn't have that when I was super young, but a friend of mine, dear, dear friend of mine, uh, told me one time when I was explaining about my upbringing and, you know, mom being far away and she's afraid to even come over there to see us because of all the things going on. Um, and so she said to me, cause I told her about all the window cells by the time I was 10 years old were filled. I had, everything was filled with plants 10, 11 years old, because at least if I went to the grocery store, I wanted something, he would be okay spending a dollar on a plant because the plants at the time were 99 cents or $1.99. And if that's all he has to do, like I, like I would do with my son, you want, the, you want the Hot Wheels car for 99 cents, just get it. Let's continue on with our shopping. So I, for some reason, gravitated towards that at six years old. And so there was a positive feedback loop from those plants and propagating them and trying something new and looking at a book and then going to another one, and we went to a nursery. You took me to a nursery when I was 12 years old. I lost my mind. (laughs) And so I got a positive feedback loop from them, and she said, oh, you were raised by plants. And I I said, and I kind of think, because my mom was, you know, far away. Mm -hmm. My father was absent emotionally, physically, and absent-minded in general. And, um, so that was a lot of my coping mechanisms, which 
if you really want to talk about it, is probably a, I'm sure I turned into a positive, but holy crap, I have some sort of weird obsession and addiction with those two. But mm -hmm. I used my weird brain chemistry to, now I have, I'm better than plants now. <laughs> for, with, with that, I didn't take classes for that. I just read books because I shoved my face in that. I mean, so, I think that's great. I think that's a beautiful thing to think <laughs> about that you were raised by plants and, and you, you found solace. You found some, yeah, solace, but you found calm and you found peace. And I mean, gosh, I, I, I imagine that dealing with plants has got to teach you a lot of patience too, because <laughs> there's nothing you can't. They live in a different time zone. Right. Time, time continuum. Different dimension. Yeah. Yes. Like I went, oh, so I went, I went running at the Jack London State Park, which I'll have to take you to. It's fucking gorgeous. It's like amazing. It's a whole nother world. London, isn't that white fang? Basically, but it's okay. not, not, not Alaska. Um, but there's the <laughs> ancient redwood and I didn't even look at the sign to see how old it was, but it was so huge. And it like had like another redwood, like coming off of it almost. It was amazing. And you, you know, they don't let you get so close to them because they don't want to mess up the roots and stuff, but was whoa it was just insane to be there with this like ancient plant been there for a thousand plus years yeah, yeah. it was a trip um you know i i just i i'm just just try to i i continue to try to like figure out like my what i call my alcoholic lineage you know and dealing with him and you know when there was such a huge level of relief. And I know that you dealt with him a lot more because I moved away and then you kind of, he lived with you in multiple places and he kind of like followed you around and tagged you around. I with that man. I dragged him. All, I gave him a car. He wrecked it. Uh, yeah, just pillar to post. I did. I think that's why, and I don't, I'm sorry to go off. I think that's mm -hmm. why I have a little more closure than you do because I did more than I should have. Yeah. So I don't feel bad about any of that. I did way yeah. more than I should have, way more than he deserved at least. And I just never was able to, and that's the other thing. I had similar conversations with him near the end of his life, but also even before I remember trying to have those conversations with him as a young adult, as somebody in their early twenties. And he just wouldn't respond. Like he wasn't, he would say, maybe I'm sorry was the most, but it never felt genuine or he never felt interested in making it better in any way it just was like never, okay never, because he never sunk in i don't think he i don't think he could rationalize it because he didn't feel like he was wrong huh. or yeah. or he didn't want it or it was so painful to think about the years of torment and mistakes that he made that he didn't want to think about it but more likely he was non-compost Mentos. He had no Mentos left. His mm -hmm. brain was white. You would tell him something, you know, I don't remember doing that. And he didn't want to be embarrassed to say, I don't remember. So he'd just go, I'm sorry. Because hmm. his brain was just, it was very, especially towards the end, it was mush. But now I'm realizing even in my early 20s, he was not, um, his brain, he was just all like, oh, here, you want to talk about weird stuff? <laughs> sure. You want to talk about some weird stuff? So I'm, I think 
Caleb might have been five. I don't know what it was. My kids were super young, and I'm riding the car with him. And Caleb's like, I'm thirsty, and he's complaining, and whatever. He's a kid in the car. He doesn't want to be there. He's thirsty. I'm thirsty. And he's like, here, open your mouth. I'll spit in your mouth. To my child. So there was like, even, even at, I'm 25 years old, the man is, what did he have me, at 35? The man is pushing 60, and he still does that weird stuff. Like, it's just, it, I think what it was is that he treated his kids as if they were adults that he had full control over. So there was not a understanding of child psychology, of any of that, and there wasn't a respect back and forth. It's like, you respect me, but I'm not respecting you. Yeah. Yeah. There was none. I never felt respected. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, hey, you're, not, you're not listening. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You're not listening. Remember that one? You're not yeah. listening. You're not listening. Oh, what? Yeah. So, yeah. So my experience is a little bit different. I think I threw myself into that. Um, I think that I was very blessed to not have the full experience you did where <laughs> you got caught with cigarettes and you cut your hair yourself and then he threw away all your clothes and made you get weird. Funky. So, Do you remember that was all? That was because he caught me. So I don't remember cutting my own hair. No, he cut your or hair. He cut my hair. He fucked it up. I mean, you had to go to the doctor, the doctor, the the, the barber. Barber the next day. So he caught me with cigarettes. I think I think that was the thing. You were in high school. Yeah, I remember the hair. clothes, and I remember he how. Okay. Threw away a lot of your clothes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I got. A, I couldn't wear my ripped up jeans and my fucking band t-shirts. Couldn't wear your Faith No More shirt. Right, basically threw away my Faith No More t-shirt and got me like these preppy like shorts and like button-up shirts and loafers and this whole yeah, idea that he was gonna the, i distinctly remember the loafers and how awful they were that somehow this was going to change my behavior by oh, making me wear punishment was that for yeah. cigarettes i don't remember i don't recall I, I in mean, my maybe... head i remember it was for cigarettes or something i don't yeah. know what that i don't was. know possibly it probably cigarettes maybe i mean i guess i probably probably try i used to smoke cloves out behind like the 7-eleven thinking that was cool it, like i smoke cloves we never smoked a clove together what's going on <laughs> listening to nine inch nails on my walkman so i mean there's that that's how long ago that was but um what is that downward spiral no before that that was pretty hate machine man that was like oh, 91 okay. <laughs> and that came out in 89 or whatever 88 maybe um but so like yeah and just near the end of his life and having trying to have those conversations and then dealing with the fallout of all the stuff after he died and like having to like go through that that awful apartment weird and i didn't and it was so bizarre you know like things like and you told me too you're like yeah i went ahead and you know threw out all his porno mags already and you know just trying to be give some respect and whatever man i don't really think there's a problem with porno mags like but you know i just like and having it was a whole box or two full of yeah. VHS and, and whatever it was. And yeah. It's just but, like, I, you know, was, I don't want my dead father, you know, having to deal with, I don't know, to, if there's authorities or people coming in. I'd right. Be nice just, 
not to have to deal with that. Yeah. But I mean, just the level of hoarding that went on with him with VHS tapes and with movies and video games and cassette tapes. And I like went through all this stuff and I remember, and I don't know if you went back to the apartment after I left, but like, I just remember being there one night and like crying and it like the smell and like this very distinct oh, smell, smell of death. Of rotten cantaloupe. Yeah, kind of. And there's like a metallic, but I mean, cause working in the hospital for so many years, I was like, yeah. that's the smell of death. And um, it was really like, and I had the windows open and I'm trying to go through this stuff and trying to find things that are meaningful or important. And it was almost impossible. I think I barely got out of there with like half a box of stuff. And it wasn't impossible because it was sad and tragic, which it was like, it was really disturbing and disgusting and awful, but there was just too much stuff. Like I wasn't going to sit there. There was too, well, I mean, I had 10 or 15 boxes of his stuff in for my basement for the longest time. And I had, and I had uh, 45s that I eventually gave away. And I think I, you know, and I'm going through my own, I'm going through a permanent grieving process because I don't get to have closure for my situation. But I, the video games, the systems that really didn't work, maybe they'd be worth something now because they're original 1987, whatever it was. But they didn't work. It was a PS1. The, the, the CD wasn't going to go down. I'm just, I, you know, the, so I feel bad about some of the old Nintendo or Super Nintendo, but there's so much stuff that I just said, forget about it. Mm-hmm. And I still have one or two boxes that I did finally, I did actually of his that I took. So I have a few, a few trinkets for sure of his. Like maybe I think I have a glasses case, a wooden bowl, um, a little the little tin with all his black Angus pins and Nixon now weird stuff like that. I have some of that and I have baseball cards. And so I have his Dodger cards. Yeah. I've got the childhood Bible and I think I have like a, a ID, an ID from the Sahara when he worked at the Sahara in Las Vegas. Um, but I do think, so you say that you, you live with not being able to find closure with it. And I really, if I may. Oh, oh no, I, I, was, I have closure with, my, with <clears throat> Donald John. Okay. Not Trump, Staley. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have closure with, with dad, for sure. Okay. I have, I'm not probably having any closure with my own situation, which I still, that's a different podcast. But mm-hmm. um, so I imagine that I was going off somewhere with grief and I don't know why I said that, but I imagine that you are not able to do that. I don't know that you confronted him the way I did. No, no, I didn't really. I mean, I was there some, for some period of time, like in the hospice. And I remember trying to have conversations with him again. I remember having like, there was, it was, I have, here's another, you know, memory of angry fast food of like going to a McDonald's somewhere in like Port Townsend and, and him, uh, like, I guess the, like the Angus burger was the big thing or some shit like that. And I remember him getting that and just being like, what is this piece of shit? And he like, not, and like not finishing it. Or when he came to visit me in Seattle one time and he came to the bar and I was bartending and I was really excited and proud of myself. And he's like, give me a bloody Mary. And I was like, I should have known my dad is the kind of asshole who gets a bloody Mary at fucking 10 o'clock at night, you know? 
Yeah, and, you know, um, stop with your mixed drinks. Just get a beer or a whiskey. God damn well, it. <laughs> but I mean, I worked in a fancy cocktail bar. I was like, man, I'll okay. make you anything. Like, don't you want it? And he wanted a Bloody Mary. And I'm like, this is just, you know, whatever. And then he didn't even like it. Like he told me, he's like, yeah, it's not really, it's not good. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like there's no pleasing you. And so, so yes, I guess I have a lot more to, um, you know, that I'm just thinking about things to deal with closure. But the thing that's brought me the most closure is one, realizing that his brain wasn't there. And two, re, you know, writing it out, writing him letters and writing letters about writing pages about him and about like, okay, I'm ready to let it go. I'm ready to forgive you. I'm ready to, to move on with my life because, you know, one of the guys I interviewed, um, this guy named Mishka Shibali and he's a, he's a musician and an author. And, and I got to sit with him, um, in, you know, person to person. And he had this whole thing about, you know, him trying to come to find closure with his father who's alive and very having dealing with very similar things. And he's like, I would imagine you're probably going to have an easier time finding closure with your dead father because you're not going to have him there to refute rebuttal to be constantly cantankerously you know like trying to fight you on closure and i was like oh and it made a lot of sense to me okay well so now it's just my thing to deal with i don't have to actually have him involved and i guess i never had to have him involved in the first place but it's just easier now that he's gone which is a terrible thing to say and it's not the way that i think anybody should feel about their parent well i mean i guess it depends on who your parent is but the, uh, you remember the huge sense of relief that everybody had when he died? I mean, I don't know well, if you did, but that's... No, well, yeah. Oh, oh, I, oh, I did because I had to deal with the freaking burden of that because yeah. he lived down the street from me. Yeah. And, you know, mom and I used to always make a joke. I think it was a Kids in the Hall skit. It was like, I know when mother's going to die. Never. <laughs> and so yeah. it was, I know when Donald's going to die. Never would you just take him already. Yeah. Because he was in and out of hospice. He would be there for three months. And then I have to go over to his house. And then his house was still there. And then he'd be at the house for six months until he was just such a downward spiral of, of TV dinners and rotten cantaloupes and trash and tissues and just playing video games all day long to where it's just like, this guy's not living. He lost his license because he kept getting in accidents and hitting things and he had to take the test three times. Hmm. And then he finally, cause he wouldn't give it to cause he kept failing tests because his brain was mush. He took it the third time and the next week he died and his license was in the mail that I checked. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He told me in, in this, 92 Camry that gifted him. He told me there's a house in a, a hill in Port Townsend that he, I think he did, he floored up the hill or down the hill. I think he floored it up the hill and like almost got air and he couldn't stop at the right time. He was still driving erratically at 65 years old, just flying. Which is not old. Not that old. I know plenty of 65 year olds that are rocking it right so i mean and that's well, i was gonna say something else um 
Oh, another thing that, you know, when I think about, because all of my, many of my problems psychologically, you know, my issues with eating, my issues with money, my issues with relationships, all those things stem from, you know, not just my alcoholism, but growing up with dad. And I remember too, having to make multiple phone calls. I guess there was like something, he had some money sitting in some trust somewhere, like for being a waiter and for working for the, um, the fucking, uh, what do you call it? Union? It was, it was some Las Vegas union. Right. So there was this, there was like, it wasn't a huge amount, but $20,000 would have helped his kids yeah, out. No, and I, I remember trying that and I couldn't get it either. There was no way to get it. it was there just... was nothing. I'm making phone calls and like stuff like this. And there were letters. And, and if he had just like, if he had just signed the paper and sent it off, like that's all they needed or something. There was some issue where it could have been simply taken care of if he had just taken care of it. And it's like, I'm not mad because I didn't get $10,000 10 years ago, but like just the act that it was, again, just not taking responsibility and just leaving it. Like, why didn't you just fucking do this? This And always having some excuse about not doing something or not having, and it's it's so, it's so sad to me that, that you and I had to deal with that as children and then grow up and fucking try and, and I have to figure it all out on our own. I didn't, and I wasn't there for you. I felt like I left as soon as I could. And like, I don't even know how, but I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Well, I, I, you know, looking back, I don't, I don't have any ill will or blame, but there was a little bit of like, wait, what, what the fuck? Don't, you can't go yet. Don't right. leave me with this guy by myself. And I think, yeah. I don't know if it was, I think it was the very next year. I think I did one year with him by myself, mm -hmm. which was way too intense. And then I was like, I'm out. I got to go by. I'm gone. Mm -hmm. and just right I, well now I remember actually because I, I was working at Plant World at like 14 or 15 and I had saved a bunch of money and uh, I had I think I was 15 years old I had like $3,000 or $4,000 Jesus it was so much money because I would save all my paychecks and I'd get tips so I never touched my paychecks mm -hmm. so there was a whole summer worth of money saved and I, and I was just spending my, I've got 20 or 50 bucks a day in tips. It was not wow, bad. That's great. And then I think I was getting paid 675 an hour at the time. So it was a pretty decent little job. If you're working eight hours a day, three days a week or whatever it was during the summer. And uh, so I had enough money and I thought to myself, I was like, I don't even, have, I, I had this epiphany. I distinctly remember going, I have access to my account. I can go to the credit union wherever I want and take my money out without my parents there. Cause it was my money and it was, they knew me cause I would go deposit my checks. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could just get on a bus, wow. whatever. I could just be gone. And so what I think I had that epiphany and I said, okay, I'm not going back to school in Las Vegas. I'm leaving in August. I'm turning, I think I just turned 16. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I said, bye. I was like, I'm not, I'm, now that I'm 16, there's no reason I, you can't hold me here against my will. And I'm leaving. You say you told them that, or that's just what you thought? Uh, that was your epiphany. 
that was my epiphany. I don't, I didn't tell him that I'm leaving. I didn't say it that way. I just said, Hey, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go live with mom. You don't want to be in Las Vegas. Sorry. And so I had some sort of power and autonomy by having a few thousand dollars in the bank to go, I can do it. Bye. Yeah. So, I mean, um, there was yeah, a level of confidence that came with that of like yeah. having, yeah. So it is so sad, you know, of the childhood is sad. And I think there's a lot of tragedy and life is suffering in general. I mean, if you look out in the world, there's, there's zebras that are getting eaten by lions and lions that are hungry because they can't catch a zebra. It's, that's just, that's just what life is. That's what makes things stronger. And, and people go, Oh, it's going to get easier. Don't worry about it easier. And I go, fuck you. It's not getting easier. It only gets more difficult. What happens is you get stronger. You get more brave. You rise to that occasion. Sorry. It, okay. And it might get easier if you make the good decisions and you can make it a little easier, but when you make good decisions and all of a sudden now you have more money, well, I got to work on more taxes. And then what do I do with this? And then I have money and I'm now I'm worried about losing it. Like, you got, if you think about it, if you have Elon Musk, this is some, what, what, a oh, it was a Chris Rock joke. Mm -hmm. If Elon Musk woke, uh, Bill Gates woke up tomorrow and looked in his bank account and saw what Joe Rogan had in it, he'd jump off a fucking building going, oh, no, I'm poor. And you only have a hundred million. Well, well, I had a hundred billion. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that level of once you have more responsibility and more stuff, then you're, it I doesn't get easier. It just gives you get braver and stronger. I think too, in that, in that joke and in that thing is, is it's also about being, I think that it's about being grateful for what you have rather than saying, Oh, I don't have this. And I, I really do believe that like, too, that the scarcity mindset is just that it's a mindset. And the older I get and the more, that I deal in sobriety and recovery and trying to figure all this stuff out. And I hate for it to be true. And so when something doesn't go my way and I'm like, I need to figure this out and I need to change my mindset about it. And when I do, things change for me. And so I think that's part of it. I, I, just, I just don't discount the huge, I can't discount the huge hole that our father put us in from the get-go. And it's been for me. Start, start back at the starting line. You're way back far. Yeah. And so when I think about how it's like directly affected, like popping pill, I, I used to, I used to eat, um, I used to eat antihistamine before I ever got the muscle relaxers because I could kind of feel sleepy and dozy. And so I used to hide them in the little, in the sock drawer in our, in our bunk beds. Oh, <laughs> so I still, I still don't do well with those, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. But so, so I mean, I just know that I'm just trying my best to forgive him. And I know that it's the childhood trauma plays a huge role in my alcoholism, in my addictive behaviors around food, my inability to get good sleep still at 43 to have to like really regimen. You don't have night terrors anymore. There's that too. You know, I used to have those. Where did those come from? Abuse. Uh, you, I, I think those are specifically, I know we're, I'm kind of doing a sure, off topic here, but 
I think those were specifically from the trauma that you had. Because I know I had a few of those, but I think there was so much trauma that you had multiple ones. And I, I remember flipping out and you were being violent and you were like 11 years old. 12 years old, maybe, maybe I waking know, up I'll, in the middle of the night screaming and not knowing I didn't remember any of it. I was, completely yeah, well, I, and I was sharing a room with you and you're jumping on the bed and, and dad comes in all freaking out and you're like, fuck you, go fuck yourself. Fuck you, go fuck yourself mm -hmm. over and over and hitting him. And you're like 11 or 12 and you're flipping out. I'm going, what? And that's, that's just mental anguish and trauma. What, what else could that really be? Honestly, nothing you know I mean, what else what else back, could that be? I, I, I you know i look at my children and the trauma mm -hmm. that i'm sure i've put them through and i've done nothing like that but you've you you are self-aware enough to be able to come and speak to your children and say hey i'm sorry like that simple act of being genuinely apologize not just not just apologizing but feeling you know, you, you said earlier when we were talking at the beginning, something about being sympathetic, but not having a lot of empathy, but yeah, it's hard for me, but I don't believe that you don't have any, even if it's hard for you because I'm a high functioning sociopath, <laughs> I don't, I don't believe that exactly James, but okay. Um, I, I think no, it's, it's, it's a Sherlock Holmes joke reference. Oh, anyway, okay. Um, yeah, he was also a cocaine addict. Um, but, uh, <laughs> among other things, among other things, this is going to be a three pipe problem. Bring me my syringe. Um, but I mean, just that this, that sheer fact that you are willing to not behave like your father, that it's not in you. I mean, that's something too, that if, for me, even though I was, I feel, you know, the alcoholism is inside of me. I don't have to give into it. I don't have to give into those things and I can change my behavior and change those cycles. And when I look at your, how much, how much your kids love you and always have, even in the worst, I mean, they're teenagers, two of them. So, I mean, it's, you know how we were at teenagers. You remember being 19? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I need a couple months of a 19 year old. I don't even know, know how that happened, but it's there. So. Right. But I mean, but the fact that they have always loved you, you know, like, and I didn't feel that way about my dad. No, I, you know, I don't think they're, it's such a weird thing. I didn't, I'm trying to formulate all these thoughts and feelings as we speak on the fly. There's a ton of <laughs> well, them. Well, take I it. didn't have a lot of affection for him. Mm -hmm. I didn't really miss him. I didn't have a lot of fondness for him, but there was a familiarity. Mm-hmm that I think that I, which is why I have some of this stuff towards kind of that familiarity. I think that's, and that's may have all it was really was. There wasn't a lot of respect. I don't remember being taught things. I don't remember being advised on life. You want to learn to swim, I'll throw you in the pool. That's what I remember. Um, so yeah, I don't, there's not a lot of fond, awesome memories. And, um, during this podcast, this, this conversation, I'm starting to realize that I have a hole too, but I think I've compartmentalized it. And I don't think it's more of, it's not in my, the forefront of my head. It's more, they're just remnants 
that I just work hard on having discipline with to go, hey, if you had a 2,000 calorie meal, guess what? You get a little snack and that's your whole freaking day, dude. Sorry. You just get remnants and, you know. You mean of the, of his of controlling, abuse. of his abuse. Yeah, so, and I've, I've learned to kind of come to terms and I've, I've learned to balance, I'm still awful, but I learned to balance a lot more things. You know, it's, it's, I'm not great with my addictions, but they're pretty well managed. I have this pesky nicotine thing that I hope they ban these vapes here in, in the end of the year. So <laughs> it, and it's, and it's funny because I'm almost in the point where I don't care. I'm not even upset about being addicted to it. It's only just that it costs too much money. Yeah, it's too expensive. I don't mind. Mm. It keeps the voices at a dull roar in my head. It really does. And I see people. Uh, again, I'm going off again, but I see people just with no headphones on. They're working, staring at the sky, and smiling. I'm like, what the fuck are you smiling about? We're at work, aren't you? Isn't there a circus in your head too? No, there's not. I'm just thinking about dinner. What? Mm -hmm. So I think there's that hole that's still there that I, I push through every day. And most days I wake up and if I shower at night usually, and I'll go and I'll drop to my knees in the bathtub, not in the bathtub, over the bathtub and soak my hair with cold water, just get all the little fuzzies out and do my face and say a prayer and go, today's going to be all right. And so starting, and I don't know what it is about being on my knees and getting the, the baptized every morning and going, let's try this again. And sure enough, by noon, there's a shit storm swirling, but at least I start fresh every day with something with a good mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really just positivity. And I laugh to keep from crying, but just, you know, you, one, you can always change your attitude towards something. And uh, you're more disciplined than I am, but I think you've, in some ways, because the moderation can happen, maybe now you're going towards the other way. And, not to, and I don't think you overdo your activities or overdo your, your, um, your food, but maybe you're Sometimes there's some substitution substitution for that with the discipline of somewhere else. Cause I, I was addicted with my exercise routine and food yeah. like to the T. So there's always that balance and you can't just play with plants. You can't just go surfing all the time. You can't just do music all the time. You have to moderate it in any, any sort of addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I just, you know, for me, it's, at least with alcohol. I mean, that's the, everything else I kind of have to do. Like you have to move, you have to eat, but you know, I can't, there's no moderation with booze. Sit in the bed like sloth from seven. <clears> that doesn't, five. no, that, that too. That's not, I'm not interested in that one. I'm not interested in that life at all anymore. I used to, I used to, I used to slowly, you know, I used to talk about it as like drinking and eating bad and just living horribly it was just this sort of, it was really like this suicide installment plan. 
just kill myself a little bit every single day. And hopefully like one day I won't wake up and that was awful. You're better off just walking out to the ocean and keep walking. Well, I mean, I'm the, and so instead I, I like to run and I like to eat things that are healthy for me. And I like to like, you know, try to be a good brother and son and, you know, boyfriend and coworker and friend. And, you know, but basically I like to, you know, maintain my relationships as well. So, I mean, it's just, this is going to probably last the rest of my life dealing with my father. <laughs> well, and, I, so here's the difference. Mm -hmm. Now that I think about what you're saying is that there's a difference of me dealing with my father, mm -hmm. which I don't, which I don't really deal with. I don't really think about it. I don't have trauma in the forefront. All I'm dealing with is the ramifications of my upbringing. I don't even have, I don't even put him as at fault or responsible, even though he fully is, but I don't process it that way. I process it that I am now 41 years old. I've been on my own, doing my own thing for 20 plus years. I need to go get counseling. I need to deal with my stuff. And whatever baggage I have, just like everybody else has baggage, it's my responsibility to fix that and work through it. And mm -hmm. it's not his fault or anybody else's fault. This is what I got. This is the cards I got dealt. Yeah. Now I need to work through it, which which you could do in any some people will need to go on antidepressants. Some people need to do counseling. Some people need to run. Some people need to um, lose themselves in music or whatever it is. And so long as it's a healthy out, you know, it's healthy, that's great. But that's where I'm at, where I'm just dealing with the ramifications, but I'm not dealing with him. Right. That's not, I don't, I don't feel sad. I don't, none of that really, I don't deal with him. I deal with me hmm. as far as that goes. So I think you're in a different spot. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I like the way you put about the circus in your head too. That's something like, I don't take the cold. I don't take the cold baptism. Um, although I think it's a great idea. I definitely have my own prayer routine and I, um, I now, I mean, I've been, I've been writing three pages a day minimum since like 2000. You have the Oompa Loompa Oompa Man in your head too, right? Something like that. I mean, that on top of the tinnitus from uh, the tinnitus from going to too many concerts as a young man. <laughs> so there's a constant ringing in my head um, on top of the circus. You don't have an oom man in your head too? Uh, yeah, right now I'm just thinking about dinner. Yeah, so I think that's definitely something too. I hear that a lot from other alcoholics too when I talk to them and listen to them and they're like, yeah, man, it's fucking always just rolling in my head. So I... um. <clears throat> I just appreciate your perspective. And I know that like we had very, very similar, but very different experiences. And it was fucking, for me, our, our dad was a profound, had a profound impact and influence on my life for better or for worse. See that. So, you know, and one of the things I love, like when I talk to other recovering alcoholics and I hear about parents who get sober and repair the relationships with their children, you know? And I'm like, that's such a beautiful thing. And I, part of me, there's, you know, there's still the part of me that's like, why couldn't I fucking have that? But the better part of me, the higher part of me, the higher, higher self is like, I'm so happy to hear that because it was made, it was going to make such a difference in your children's lives and your grandchildren, you know? Being accountable 
I think it was called Forty, and it was pretty much the same stuff that I found with him. It's just I, I you know, and I feel lucky, and I think I think in a way I saw it coming. I, I why well, not in a way because he lived with me in Orange County. I moved to Texas. I moved to Texas to Port Townsend, and I carried carted all his shit around, and I drove had his car on the back of my truck, the whole thing, and I think. For better or for worse, I don't know why I felt obligated other than he's just my father, whether he deserved it or not. But I saw him, I saw his decline. Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming. And I distinctly remember having, having going, I should say my piece. I need to have my conversation because he could be gone next week or in three years. But I'm going to tell him that what the fuck? You made a ton of mistakes. You haven't seemed to repent. You don't seem to think about it it doesn't seem to bother you why how in any way shape or form is that okay to raise your children like and i'm not the best father i try really hard i'm dealing with my own stuff right now but having that and saying my piece and then realizing that he's still the same person going he's not going to take accountability for it he's not going to do anything other than yeah that sucks i'm sorry yeah, I, I shouldn't have. And that's about it. It wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't completely unremorseful. He wasn't completely, you know, but it was still half-hearted. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't remember or his brain was too mushy at the time, but it didn't seem, he didn't seem engaged. He was still disconnected from all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I definitely appreciate what you say about like accountability and, you know, taking taking accountable for your own actions. I mean, that's part of like, definitely part of my getting better was, was realizing that and going, oh, I had a part in all of this. Even, <clears throat> even all my justifiable resentments. It's like, well, yes. what's your part in it? What did you do, John? What is your part in it? Well, I'm just angry because it's their fault and they're the bad ones. And it's like, well, why are you interacting with them? Oh, you mean I should just remove myself from the situation? Okay. No more noxious stimuli. I'm <laughs> done with the noxious stimuli. Um, I don't want to deal with that. So I do, and I want to wrap this up, but I love being able to have these conversations with you and we'll do it again off the record. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, or on the record, I'm happy to go into chemical no. dependency and, and what that does to your brain and all sorts of different things. Cause I know maybe this is specifically about alcohol, but um I, I still have chemical dependencies. I know you don't, but I still deal with it on a daily basis, trying to moderate it, trying to work myself, trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what you've experienced because I don't know your, your fast and easy lifestyle, but even through raising children and things like that, I've done my share and your share too. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's some different perspectives that I can say were some chemicals actually worked and helped me to advance my mindset. Others did not. And, you know, anyway, so I'm, I'm happy to have another conversation that isn't sure. about our father. <laughs> yeah. That's more focused on different, different ways of having people help themselves and getting better and realizing that it may never go away. It may never get easier but it's up to you to get stronger. 
the people out there. Like you can go and find help. Well, yeah. Out. Reach out and make good decisions. It, it, it's not easy. It seems impossible, insurmountable. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, that's what I found. That's what I found. Baby for steps. Sure. Ah, oh, Dr. Marvin, Dr. Leo Marvin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about Bob? Oh, that's exactly it, <laughs> baby. Therapy's good too. Um, all right. Well, we'll leave it at that because yes. on, on a positive we'll leave note. It at that until next baby time. Steps. Until um, next time. Nice talking with you. And you too. Uh, I love you. I love you too. There's. Give mom gosh, a hug for we, me. We, yeah, I will. We could uh, go on for hours. I'm sure about this topic because. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>